G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 13 review, or part thereof. Still one game to be played in the round, but that, of course, on the Queen's Birthday Monday. And we are resolutely a Sunday evening show. So we'll uh, talk about that final game in the round in our midweek episode, but we are here to wrap up the six games played so far. And boy, what a round this was. Uh, Some upsets and some absolute thrillers, uh, including the one which concluded this round. Um, Some terrific games. Our first draw of the season, it was absolute action all the way and uh, spread across, well, four days so far and a fifth coming up. Uh, a real treat, even in the buy rounds. We are here, as always, for Palmer Bet. Play the punting advantage this season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, a very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. Well, Fine, have you drawn breath yet? Yeah, it was a very exciting end to the round, wasn't it? Uh, a Sunday that has seen first a draw and then an all-important win by the Eagles as they almost in a half, the last half of the last quarter, go from maybe irrelevant to once again relevant. So could this be the moment that the West Coast Eagles again threw their hat in the ring for the 2021 flag? Definitely a significant uh, bit of their season. Uh, speaking of relevance, Finey, there is something which will always be relevant in this world, and particularly to us, and it's the biggest, best, juiciest, fattest hamburger on the planet. Um, big call, best burger, but I tell you what, haven't heard too many cries to the contrary. You're speaking of Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Uh, They have topped so many lists, so many awards over the years. Why? Because they've got the winning formula. And that winning formula produces that beautiful bite right from the first to the last. What a great burger it is at Andrew's Hamburgers. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. What about the biggest, juiciest, fattest home renovations in the world? Up to date with the latest in not only architecture, but also fittings and the eye for detail. I know who you're talking about again, West Point Properties and Nick Spartels. What a great team they have down there and they are working and have worked right through these difficult couple of years to continue to add value to people's homes and their investments. West Point Properties, a big thank you to Nick Spartels. And these things, of course, all connected because what's the first thing you think of when you're having a hamburger? It's home renovations. You're organised to have your home renovated. What's the next thing you think of? Of course, it's statistics. And another of our great sponsors, Stats Insider, the best sports data analyst in the caper. Uh, They work on a range of uh, more than 15 sports across the globe and they sample an event 10,000 times to bring you the biggest range of possible outcomes. But it's not just stats. There is some great reading, some great analysis and independent journalism on the site, all free to you. So check it out, statsinsider.com.au. Well, we have got heaps of action to talk about, some terrific games. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology, wrap around. Round 13 kicked off in Adelaide on Thursday evening. Seems a while ago now. And uh, a big top-of-the-table clash and a decisive win in the end to Geelong by 21 points over Port Adelaide. 17 goals, 10, 112 the Cats to the power. 
14-7-91. The goal kickers for Geelong, that forward set up looking potent indeed. Five goals to Jeremy Cameron, four to Tom Hawkins, three to Gary Rowan, two to Parfit, singles to Smith, Duncan and Henderson. For the power, five to Connor Rosie. What a blistering start to the game he made. Four to Dixon, singles to Georgiades, Powell Pepper, Farrell, Wines and Jones. Well, really entertaining game, this one, befitting of uh, two sides up in the top order of the ladder. Five goals to four to start with the power leading marginally at quarter time, almost level at half time. A pretty tight third term. The Cats narrow leaders by 10 points at the last change. And uh, wow, a really exciting last quarter. The power exploding out of the blocks, kicking the first three goals to actually have an 11-point lead about uh, seven minutes into that last term. In fact, after Rosie kicked his fifth goal of the game, six minutes and 43 seconds into that last quarter, the power had had 20 possessions to the quarter and nearly seven minutes of footy, Geelong had had one. Yep, I didn't misread that. One touch in the first seven minutes. However, they made up for it because the Cats then went bang, 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 bang. A series of five goals, three of them to Jeremy Cameron, Isaac Smith chipping in as well, and Tom Hawkins gave them a 22-point lead, a late token goal for the power. But Gary Rowan even answered that one. Uh, Boy, they really um, put the foot to the... Uh, pedal when they needed to, the Cats, and in the end, a really, really impressive win. Uh, also breaking the shackles of their pretty wretched record coming off a bye too, so uh, perhaps getting the monkey off the back in those terms as well. And Port losing another game at home. That's uh, two in a row now they've lost at home and perhaps some concerns for a side that is really struggling this season against quality Opposition, what'd you make of this one, Fanny? Well, I think you've got the two big takeaways in your summary there, Rowan. From Geelong's perspective, surely that now is the forward line that causes or, or would suggest to cause most problems for the opposition. In other words, the one for all the other teams to be envious of. The seamless integration of Jeremy Cameron into a forward line that has been screaming for somebody to share the load with Tom Hawkins has been breathtaking, hasn't it? I mean, when you consider not only the goals scored, but the synergy between the two players, that has worked out perfectly for the Cats. Adding Gary Rowan in career best form and plenty of hustle and hassle at the drop of the ball. And you can see why Geelong are now putting big scores on the board. That's takeaway one. And I guess the second is, looking at Port Adelaide's results this season, their inability to beat teams that they would need to defeat if they were to win a premiership. They would be disappointed. Home losses to Bulldogs and the Cats suggest that, and they're the ones most recently, may I add, they they would suggest that Port Adelaide are off the pace when it comes to chasing a premiership. And I think Ken Hinckley has admitted as much in the post-match press conference saying that his team doesn't have the across-the-ground ability of some of the better teams. And we need to be at our very best to compete against them, which he feels they've been doing. So, in a way, a concession to the better sides. They're my two big takeaways from the game, Rowan, Geelong's forward line and Port Adelaide, just short of top class. Actually, I need to correct myself there. Port haven't lost their last two at home, of course. Last start, they beat Fremantle at home. It's 2 of the last three because they did lose to the Western Bulldogs in round nine. And that uh, record V, the top eight, five games played now. Really good win against Richmond, albeit by only a couple of points. But the uh, four losses are the ones that stand out to West Coast by a fair bit, to Brisbane by a fair bit, to the Bulldogs by 19 points at home, and now to the Cats by 21 points. So, gee, when it's... um, the line between wins and losses is that stark in terms of quality of opposition. It does make you start worrying a bit. Uh, on the Cats, though, we did talk on Footyology Final Siren about the potency of that forward setup. And the thing that really impressed me, not just the um, 
scoreboard tally combined of Cameron Hawkins and Rowan, 12 goals between them, but the athleticism and versatility of that trio as well. And I thought it was really significant in that last quarter. Uh, Port's key defenders, Jonas and Aaliyah, they were out on their feet. And that was basically because Hawkins and Cameron had run them to a standstill. So the Cats very capable, I think, with that forward setup of taking the big contested grabs when the ball's banged in quickly, but also getting out in the lead, creating space and uh, doing it that way as well. And um, look, Geelong haven't had issues scoring in the past, but perhaps their forward setup's been a bit one-dimensional. It's a lot more multifaceted now, and I think that's the major reason they are a bigger contender for this premiership even than they were last year. Yeah, no, good point. Now, I'd like just to finally mention the two players coming back for the Cats, both missing six weeks of football. Paddy Dangerfield, he'll get games with more possessions, but he was sure-handed and made a serious contribution. But how about Mark O'Connor, the trust that they place in him? He is a run-with player straight away, given the job of running with Travis Boak, which is a gut-buster. He did well and shouldn't underestimate his importance to the lineup. Yeah, no, look, uh, you can see them getting better, absolutely. And um, still some players to fit back into that equation and players keeping selection pressure on. Uh, so, Port got some concerns. What have they got in the agenda next week? Well, they've got to go to Metricon Stadium and take on Gold Coast in a Saturday afternoon clash. That'll be a bit different. Uh, I wonder what the weather might be that uh, this time of year on the Gold Coast Saturday afternoon and whether that's a factor. So that's their challenge and another big game for the Cats. Big Friday night clash against the Western Bulldogs. They do get, however, to play it at home at GMHBA Stadium. That one, 7.50pm next Friday night should be an absolute corker. All right, so Thursday night football return, but of course, that still left us with Friday night. Well, I don't think much doubt this was the biggest turn-up of the weekend. Sydney taking on Hawthorne at the SCG. Hawthorne having won just two games in the season. Sydney's record at home uh, being restored earlier this season. Uh, but not on this occasion. They were comprehensively outplayed by a far more determined Hawthorne, who ended up having a pretty comfortable 38-point win. The final scores, the Hawks, 14-5, 89. Sydney, pretty miserable, 7-9-51. And the Hawks leading basically start to finish the goal kickers for the victors. Kaczynski, two. Moore, two. Phillips, two. Bruce, two. Singles to Segler, Morrison, Wingard, Mitchell, McAvoy and Shields. For the Swans, just the one multiple goal kicker, two goals to Joel Armitay and singles to Hayward, Franklin, Heaney, Florent and Wicks. Um, ordinary stuff by the Swans, finally. They've only had a couple of stinkers, but this one definitely fell into that category and uh, well-played Hawks. They still appear to have that capacity every so often to produce a pretty impressive performance. What do you make of this? You know, there were fears leading into Friday night football that this was a bit of a non-contest between a team that's in the four and a in the eighth, pushing to the four, and a team that really has seen their form trail off and right down there amongst the cellar dwellers. Well, it was that one-sided contest that people were fearing, but nobody expected it to be the other way around. That Hawthorne would really just control the game, apart from an early burst from the Sydney Swans, led by former Hawk Buddy Franklin. It was very much Hawthorne in control. And if not for the latter positions, you wouldn't have questioned at any point from the midsection of the second quarter that this was going to be a win for Hawthorne. Of course, given the latter positions. We were expecting some response from Sydney, but when you've got the following players arguably having their worst game of the season, you're going to struggle to win. I speak of Papley, Heaney, Hickey, who had been so influential in every game he'd played previously. Really, you are then starting to struggle because these are all match winners for the Sydney Swans. The, now, I know a lot of 
Sydney Swan fans and impartials suggested that they got the rough end of the stick from the umpiring, and there certainly were a couple of moments that clearly went against them. That doesn't explain the 38-point margin against a team that has been struggling so desperately throughout the season. For Hawthorne, so much to be pleased about, not the least of which was that man Jyeth in the back line, who certainly is building up his resume, isn't he, as the season goes on as a not only defensive force, because he's wonderful in the spoiling department, but also as a rebounding defender. So it's exactly the combination that teams look for in their prime defender. And I thought he was close to best on ground, maybe eclipsed by the former Swan, Tom Mitchell. Yeah, he was terrific. Actually, just while we're talking about him too, I actually thought I'm sick of hearing 500 different pronunciations of his name. Uh, so I found an interview he gave where he actually said his own name and the way he pronounces it is Chenkov Jath. So okay, good. henceforth, that is what we would call him. We're getting a bit tired of the old CJ because people can't be bothered saying his name. But so we've spot, only really got the Marty or Amity or Marty, whatever yeah, to worry about. I'll get onto that one next week. Um, but you're right, he was absolutely outstanding. And he has got the perfect uh, blend, I think, of offensive qualities. But he's, I think his defensive, his pure defensive work is getting a lot better too. His judgment occasionally is a little bit awry, but I think that's improving. He's been you know, close to the highlight of this season for the Hawks. He's an absolute long-termer. And think about the possibilities with him too when, say, Sicily comes back into the equation. So that's certainly pretty exciting. In fact, I thought their whole defence for Hawks was terrific. I thought um, uh, Frost was really good as well, apart from one significant brain snap when he gave away a silly 50. Uh, and the debutant, John Newcomb, uh, really good debut from him. And uh, what was it, 11 or 12 tackles in the game? The most recorded... 14. 14, yeah, I, I, yep did him a disservice, the most recorded by a debutant. And the other key area, and you touched on this also, was the ruck where the uh, twin attack, I suppose, of uh, Segla and McAvoy, uh, they really pulled Hickey's pants down metaphorically on Friday night. And um, the Swans really didn't get much drive out of that middle at all. Mitchell thought Mitchell, you know, got his usual swagger touches, 34, but he seemed to be more conspicuous with them in this game, I thought. Just seemed to be a little more damaging. Certainly set up a couple of goals. Amira, very good as well. And uh, up forward, I thought uh, Bruce chimed in with a couple. Um, so they were sort of more potent all over the ground, really. And they'll do this, the Hawks. I'll just give you a reminder once every few weeks that, hey, you know, there's still a bit of talent there. So not all gloom and doom for them. As for the Swans, well... Uh, it could be a costly loss for them. They're uh, they're still in the eight by two games. Um, I think they've got a reasonable run home, but the next few weeks are pretty tough. They've got Port Adelaide, they've got West Coast, they've got the Western Bulldogs. So they wouldn't want to drop more than one of those three, I think, or that spot in the eight might get a little bit uh, line ball by the end of the season. Certainly one for them to keep an eye on and uh, a good win by the Hawks to keep them interested. What have they got next week? Well, this one's interesting. They're scheduled to play Essendon and that game supposedly at the MCG, Sunday afternoon, 3.20pm. However, uh, not for the first time, COVID still a factor in all this. And uh, at the moment, we believe that uh, crowds of half capacity will be allowed at the grounds. But uh, Hawthorne have said, finally, they're willing to move this game to Launceston if needs be. I'm not sure Essendon will be that wrapped about that prospect, to be perfectly honest. Um, as for the Swans, they get the buy next week. Probably sorely needed for them at this stage. Uh, good time for them to regroup, get a few of those young guns over some niggles and get them back into the side because that spark which marked their early season performances probably just evaporated a little bit by the week. I think a few of those young bodies uh, probably crying out for a bit of respite. So hopefully that will benefit them. All right, good win to the Hawks on Friday night football, of course, with the buy round. Fewer games on the card on Saturday. In fact, we had two. Let's talk about them. All right, first game on Saturday, a rare Saturday afternoon game in Perth. Back to the old days. 
Fremantle taking on Gold Coast. And in the end, pretty good win to the Dockers by 27 points. 11-10, 76, defeating an inaccurate Gold Coast. 6-13, 49 goals for the Dockers. Two to Mundy, two to Tracy, two to Lobb. Singles to Schultz, Collier, Darcy, Walters and Henry. For the Suns, two to Rankin, two to Burgess. Singles to Flanders and Miller. Well, I'm going to wrap this up from my end pretty quickly, Finey. This was absolute crap. This was one of the worst games of football, certainly this year, perhaps in quite a few years. And the second quarter particularly was the absolute pits, just a a catalogue of errors from both teams. Couldn't hit the side of a barn, either of them. In fact, that second quarter produced in total between the two sides, uh, five behinds, one goal, seven behinds. Fremantle kicking one, two for the quarter. Gold Coast, five behinds straight. The scores at half time in perfect conditions, three goals, four to one goal, eight. Fortunately, things picked up a bit after that. In fact, the Dockers, Six goals in the third term. That proved to be the decisive break for them. Look, the bottom line is getting the win. They badly needed it, and they got it. And they had some decent players too. Um, really good to see Alex Pierce back in the equation, and he was pretty good for them in defence as well. Sean Darcy continues to improve in the ruck. James Ash having a pretty reasonable season. Brayshaw impressive as well. And for the Gold Coast, just not enough contributors. Miller was all right. Powell had a crack. Didn't extend too far beyond that, though. But uh, i got to be honest, Finey, this is one of those games that you would absolutely consign to the dustbin of memories because there wasn't a lot to recommend it. I hear you, brother. Look, that halftime, <laughs> the halftime pause to consider what you've just seen, uh, only those covering the game, forced to cover the game, honestly, would have stuck with it because, gee, perfect conditions and just terrible ball usage by both teams. A little bit of class on either side. David Mundy certainly shows it when he gets the ball. And as for the poor old Gold Coast, well, it wasn't to be with the the returning Matt Rowell, understandably very rusty and probably Tuke Miller, his endeavour standing out for them. I like Josh Tracy. I like his attack on the ball. And also, isn't he a beautiful set shot? We're so used to forwards mucking up their lines when kicking a goal, but not so him. And I think probably the highlight of the game, as you mentioned, was the return of Alex Pearce. You could just tell by the crowd reaction. They certainly appreciate his presence and he's much loved, actually. I liked when actually they showed a photo of him Not only does he now have that full beard, but take away the bun, he's also got nipple-length hair. I mean, he's a magnificent specimen, and anybody suffering from baldness would be jealous of one Alex Pierce, who seems to be able to grow it on a billiard ball. He kept Ben King out of the game, and in doing so, probably denied Gold Coast their opportunity of winning the match, because they don't have a lot else up forward, do they? Everything else seems to be very ad hoc and sort of ad lib, you might say. Ultimately, they controlled the game well, Fremantle. You have to admire the performance, given the lack of Nat Fife and other important players like Cox down in the back line. So I give them credit for at least controlling a game that they should. They will have far bigger fish to fry. And given the results on the weekend, it does give them still some hope of playing finals football. Not not if they play it at that level, but at least the four points and Sydney losing give them some glimmer of hope for the rest of the season. They'll need to lift. And as for Gold Coast, well, that's the sort of football that has us scratching our heads with that team. And they host Port Adelaide next week. If they put on that sort of performance, they'll go down by more than 27 points, I can assure you. Well, I do wonder if we're cutting Gold Coast a bit too much slack this season because they have actually won a game beyond about round four or five. But to be a bit cruel about it, you look at their record, it's only marginally less crap than it has been the previous seasons. I mean, they uh, they won a couple of games back-to-back, round six, round seven. One was over the Swans. They beat Hawthorne 
comfortably, but Hawthorne played a shocker that night before they had their bye. Um, but their record is still four and eight. You know, they're still right down the bottom of the ladder or, you know, close enough to the bottom of the ladder, 15th as we record this. Uh, have they been that much better? You know, are they improving at all? Oh, it's, it really is a week-to-week question that we ask. They get a decent win against the Hawks and we say that they are now putting together a better season than they had previously. And then you see an effort like the one against Fremantle and quite rightly, you suggest that they haven't progressed at all. They've got, what, nine games remaining for the rest of the season in which to at least make make sure that they don't fall off the face of the earth as they have have previously, Rowan. And I guess for Stuart Jew, it will be, and I'm not saying that his coaching is in question, even though it would come under some scrutiny if they fell away terribly, but he needs to see signs. And so do players that might potentially be poached by Victorian or other teams. They need to see some signs of growth. And that very much is in the balance. And from what we saw on the weekend, the scales are tipping once again against the Gold Coast Suns. I'll say this much about the Dockers. Uh, look, they're one game outside the eight now. That two-game gap uh, between the eight and the rest narrowed to one this weekend. But they have to win their next three straight, which are against uh, Collingwood, Carlton and Hawthorne. If they're any good, they will win all all of those games, regardless of where they are. And only one of them's at home. And the reason they have to win them is because over the following five weeks, they have got in order Geelong, Sydney, Richmond, Brisbane and West Coast. So unless they win those next three, they are not going to be in a position to survive that very, very challenging run over five weeks leading up to the penultimate home and away game. So uh, I don't think they'll make it. I don't think they're good enough. Maybe they'll surprise me, but I'm telling you, they don't win all those three. It won't even be a discussion, and that'll be quite some distance before we even get to the finals. Okay, next week, they've got a week to think about it at least. Fremantle does have the bye in round 14. Gold Coast, as we told you before, Really tough challenge for them at home, at least, but Saturday afternoon, 1.45pm against Port Adelaide. All right, that was the day game on Saturday. There was one game at night and it was in Cairns. This game at Kazali Stadium in Cairns, a St Kilda home game and uh, looked like a stroke of scheduling genius for much of it, because uh, they certainly got off to a great start. In fact, at one stage, the Saints, five goals, six. Again, some costly accuracy or inaccuracy. Adelaide held scoreless for well into the second quarter. But that would change dramatically. Um, The Saints still two and a half goals up at three-quarter time in difficult conditions. But... Could not get near it in the last quarter. Adelaide absolutely dominating territory. And in the end, making that count on the scoreboard. They kicked 3-6 in the last quarter. Importantly, of course, the go-ahead goal over his head, no less, by Riley Fieldthorpe, who had a massive last quarter, hitting the front and uh, leading this game for about some total of about one minute. Absolute heartbreaker for the Saints. And if there was any doubt about uh, what's going to happen with them this season in terms of finals, that defeat surely has put pay to any fleeting finals hopes. The margin in the end, six points. Adelaide, 9-12-66, defeating St Kilda, 8-12-60. The goal kickers, Philthorpe, three all of those uh, three goals coming in that final term and singles to McAdam, Mackay, Rowe, Sloan, Smith and Walker for the Saints. Two to King, two to Mason Wood, singles to Butler, Burns, Crouch, Sinclair. I've got to say, Fanny, I was thinking of you when the siren went and uh, I dare say what happened in that last quarter didn't sit too well with you. Oh, no. I mean, that was, as much as the result did come down to Riley Philthorpe, who 
kicked that great goal over his head after having a shot just previously that he kicked on the full. They were all over the Saints, weren't they? Completely dominating possession, shots at goal and opportunities in that last quarter. And in a way, it was almost fortuitous for the Saints that it came down to such a late call on the game because they just could not get a touch on the ball basically from midway through the third quarter when a Brad Crouch goal had almost reset the lead at six goals and you just couldn't see, given the conditions, how Adelaide could get back into the game for a second time. Yes, they had managed to hit the scoreboard after halfway through the second quarter, but it seemed as though St Kilda had steadied Jack Steele playing well getting plenty from him and Crouch out of the middle. Sinclair good off the half-back line, having scored a goal in the first quarter as well, adding to his strong game. And in fact, that half-back line with Highmore, influential early, and Sinclair, Howard on top of Phil Thorpe at that stage of the game, really were controlling matters. But boy, one thing about this St Kilda team in 2021, they are incapable of reversing the tide. We've seen teams absolutely swamp them and record huge wins against them where St Kilda have almost sat back as spectators and once again whether it's a lack of on-field leadership or just a, a, a lack of inner, inner, you know, tenacity some inner drive, St Kilda again seem incapable of turning back the game when it's not on their terms. I, I don't think he can you simply can't survive that amount of territorial disadvantage. Like, you, you you have to wilt under that amount of pressure. And just to underline the extent to which the Crows dominated that last quarter, let's have a look at the inside 50s. In the final quarter, St Kilda had five forward entries, five in a yep. quarter. Adelaide had 20. So it was just an absolute tide, wasn't it? And uh, they missed a few, but you were just... You just knew that it was only a matter of time before there was another assault on goal. And they almost uh, sort of stuck it out, but uh, unfortunately just couldn't hold up long enough. And um, I've got to say too, and, you know, without wanting to dwell on umpiring, gee, that was an ordinary free kick played against Dougal Howard to Phil Thorpe on the goal line. I thought that was a shock at fine. Terrible. Absolutely. Yeah, but again, it's just not a position St Kilda should have put themselves in. You just got a sense that as the tide was running against St Kilda, so too with the umpiring decisions. And that was a terrible call. Big loss to St Kilda for this game and potentially for a number of weeks was the broken jaw suffered by Hunter Clark. Mm. And, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, you know, McKay seemed to be going for the ball. So we'll see how that plays out. But an important player suffering a, a serious injury there. Yeah, unfortunately for St Kilda and their aspirations in 20 and 21, if there was any question, as you suggested, those question marks are now erased. This season is a write-off in terms of finals and all they have to left to play for is pride. And that is something, unfortunately, within games, they haven't shown a lot of. So let's see what they're made of after the bye. They've got a pretty uh, tough run to the line too, the Saints. So uh, you're right. It will really test them without a lot to play for in effective terms. And I'm just looking at the ladder now. Adelaide actually now ahead of the Saints on percentage. Who would yep. have thought uh, more than halfway through this season you'd have a finalist or a side that won a final last year below the ladder of last, uh, below the last year's wooden spooner on the ladder. It's quite remarkable. And, uh, look, hats off to the Crows, five and eight now. And, um, you know, they've lost a lot more than they've won in recent weeks. But uh, it looks like perhaps the, the the graph is just trending upwards again. Either way, uh, certainly a vastly improved team on where they were at last year, I think. So, uh, you know, perhaps the future for the Crows is uh, might get brighter more quickly than we initially envisaged. And just on, just on the Crows, Rowan, You've got to hand it to Paul Seedsman. I mean, I don't think too many people would have thought that he'd necessarily be a main player for the Crows this year, let alone 
a max winner, but boy, he's really kept his career going, hasn't he? He has, and uh, yeah, he's been a, a seriously good player for the Crows. Um, absolutely rebelled at his second club. All right, that was the Saturday action. Two games to be played on the Sunday. One in Tasmania, one in WA. Well, this was a thriller. Uh, it's not what people were counting on. Most people thought GWS would have a relatively comfortable win over North Melbourne. But the Roos, not for the first time this season, dug in, found something and should have won the game. They didn't win the game, but they didn't lose the game because we had the first draw of this season. Uh, absolutely thrilling finish down there at... Blundstone Arena and the final scores 14-10 each of two as Peter Landy would have said 14-10-94 and the Roos held to one goal in the last quarter after leading by 28 points at three quarter time GWS to their credit had been pretty ordinary for three quarters but really found something in that last quarter and kick straight not unimportantly 6-1 in that final term How did it pan out? Well, the Giants had a couple of goals in that last quarter on the board very quickly. In fact, within three minutes, uh, Cameron Zerha gave the Roos a bit of breathing space again. Himmelberg got one back, two goals the difference. And then Daniel Lloyd, uh, the hero of sorts for the Giants, kicked a goal to reduce the gap to six points with two and a half minutes left on the clock. Uh, Some... Critical errors made by the Roos. Jai Simkin kicking out in the full. That uh, mistake ended up with Daniel Lloyd bobbing up with another goal to level the scores. One minute, 17 left on the clock at that stage. He then had a chance to win it for them. Uh, A very hurried snap under pressure. Not able to score the go-ahead point going out in the full with about 11 seconds left on the clock. And then incredibly from the kick in North Nearly managed to bugger up even the draw. Aaron Hall, who was terrific for them, in fairness, kicking out in the full. Adam Kennedy left with the chance to win the game after the bell for the Giants, but uh, a long way out, and that kick never went close. So the season's first draw, um, the goal kickers for the Roos first, two to Cunnington, two to Larky, two to Thomas, Two to Zerha, singles to Davies, Uniac, Goldstein, Marnie, Powell, Scott and Stevenson. For the Giants, two to Finlayson, two to Flynn, two to Himmelberg, two to Josh Kelly. Boy, he was good. Two to Lloyd right at the end and singles to Green, Hill, Taranto and Ward. I guess sometimes finally with draws, you say, oh, you know, there was a moral winner or this side won, this side lost. It almost looked the way they were walking off the ground, like both of them took it more as a loss than a win, didn't it? Absolutely. And I can understand why. For GWS, their finals hopes take a big, big dint. You've got to beat North Melbourne if you're fair dinkum. And for North Melbourne, where wins are rare as hen's teeth in 2021, it would have been great to get a scalp down there in Tassie against GWS, 28 points up at three-quarter time every reason to believe that's what you're going to do. i tell you what, I've got to say the GWS shot themselves in the foot this game for three quarters, playing such a tentative, nervous game of football, so much of kicking the ball around, short passing, not taking the game on, not taking on the corridor, over-respecting North Melbourne in a way, but just a real nervousness and tentative edge to their football that ultimately they had to take the risk when you're 28 points down at three quarter time obviously you've got to sort of throw caution to the wind and it was when they did that when they took the game on when they played on from stopping from possession when they actually took the corridor on that they overwhelmed their opposition and you have to ask the question why did we need to be 28 points down before we did that that's what GWS should be asking themselves Lloyd was an interesting choice up at full forward. Apparently, he's played that position in Sydney local football previously, and he was a bit of a target, even though Aaron Hall had a good duel with him. I thought Kane Turner and Toby Green was an interesting matchup, and Kane Turner did pretty well in that department, even though Toby Green 
was a little bit wasteful in front of goal. For North Melbourne, Cunnington remains so important to their fortunes, doesn't he? And look, they really took the initiative in that third quarter. And it was, by the way, a third quarter that started off with GWS missing a couple of shots to goal. And I thought, all right, GWS are, are back onto their tucker and looking the goods. But almost against the play, or definitely against the play, North Melbourne were able to get a goal. And from that point on, they were the masters. GWS were the servants. And unfortunately, they couldn't see the game out. So I can understand, Rowan, why both teams would have looked at, looked at this as two points lost rather than two points gained. Yeah, I think we uh, we need to give one bloke a pretty big pat on the back, and that's Josh Kelly. I, I thought he was absolutely outstanding for the Giants. Uh, great stats too, 39 disposals for him, kicked a couple of goals. Uh, he had five clearances, laid six tackles. Uh, it was a terrific performance by him, yep. but I'm not sure their midfield has anything like the depth that used to have because he simply didn't get enough support. Look, Taranto was... Pretty decent for them. But uh, beyond that, I felt like it was a bit of a struggle for them in the midfield. In fact, all, right. over, the, all over the ground, they don't have the armoury they once did, do they? Absolutely not. And that we've noted they've played with a fair bit of character this year, blooding a lot of youngsters. Now, Bobby Hill was almost unsighted and he's a player that can really provide a point of difference. So I guess... As much as we admire young players, we also expect something from them. If you take the field in an AFL game, you do need to be a contributor. And I guess there, there was a little bit of a lack of contribution. I, I know that you also made observations, re the way Shane Mumford plays his football, and it certainly isn't to everybody's taste. No, I, um, I know you've been a critic of him. Well, I joined that uh, unhappy band today because I thought it was a real cheap shot on uh, Taron Thomas that somehow inexplicably didn't even see a free kick paid to the Giants reverse, let alone a report, which you could be argue it deserved. And not a couple of minutes later, he was then dropping the elbow into the head of another, you know, North player, half his weight and size on the ground. And it annoyed me. So uh, I tweeted something to that effect and certainly got a response. I think a lot of people are getting a bit tired, not only of how he conducts himself, but of the sort of uh, commentary response to it, which often seems to be this sort of joking, ah, ha, ha, there's big clumsy mummy. Well, you know, it's not clumsy. It's quite deliberate. And uh, it's pretty ordinary stuff when it's guys who are half your size. Here, here. And that is, to me, the salient factor, that this accidental villain that clumsily falls into players generally does it to players who are nowhere near his dimensions and there's nothing courageous in that and there's nothing admirable in that. All right, so the season's first draw next week. Both these teams front up again on Saturday. The Roos are scheduled to play Brisbane at Marvel Stadium in the Twilight Game, 4.35pm. At this stage, that is where it'll be, albeit with um, half capacity. And the Giants are scheduled, oh, and this will happen, they are playing Carlton at their home ground, Giant Stadium, 7.25pm Saturday evening. Certainly, absolutely have to win that one if they are to retain any hope of being a finalist this season after missing out last year as well. All right, that was the first game on Sunday afternoon. Uh, round 13 started with a big game between two flag aspirants and it concluded with another big game between two sides closer to the top than the bottom of the ladder. And they might have saved the best till last. The final game of round 13 always shaped as a really good game and it delivered in spades. An absolute epic between West Coast and Richmond at Optus Stadium in Perth, and in the end, won by the Eagles by four points. The final scores, West Coast, 13-7, 85, defeating Richmond, 12-9-81. The goals, Josh Kennedy, four. Talk about a man for the occasion. He kicked the goal, which put the Eagles in front. Oscar Allen, two. Cripps, two. Waterman, two. Singles to Jones. Nat Nui. And Ryan for the Tigers, 
two goals to Coleman Jones, two to Wambert, two to Martin, two to Rewalt, singles to Arts, Bolton, Castagna and Graham. Well, finally, we are recording this not long after the end of the game. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it because uh, as good and close and tight as this game was, the Tigers led by 22 points. Fairly late in proceedings, not often you see them surrender that sort of lead. And it wasn't even as if they dropped off the pace. West Coast, to their credit, absolutely lifted a gear and they were making all the play in the finish of this game. Could the Tigers hang on? Well, they couldn't in the end. Kennedy kicking the winning goal with just 36 seconds left on the clock. Even then, Richmond still a chance. The ball went forward from the last centre bounce to the Eagles. Richmond rebounded. That man, Dustin Martin, got on the end of it. You thought, is he going to do it again? He went long to the goal square. And West Coast veteran Shannon Hearn took the match-saving mark. The siren went to absolute pandemonium and a really, really critical result in the context of the season. West Coast now again clear of Richmond on the ladder in seventh spot and the Tigers just again clear of the ninth place side, Fremantle. So uh, fair bit of work still to be done by Richmond if they're to have a serious crack at a third flag in a row. I'm not jumping off yet, but we'll get to that later. Uh, was this the game of the season, Finey? What do you reckon? Well, it certainly was one of the games of the season. Hard to go past it. What a pulsating game of football in an amazing last quarter where West Coast had so much of the territory, but the Tigers, through the brilliant finishing of not just Dustin Martin, who kicked that great goal along, sort of along the ground, but Struck it beautifully. Also a great finish by Lambert and then one from distance by Shea Bolton. Yes, they didn't have the territory, but at 22 points up, they certainly had the scoreboard and West Coast just kept on coming. Luke Edwards, what a great game he played, this youngster. He became instrumental and uncharacteristically, errors began to creep into the Richmond game. There was the 50-metre short uh, penalty given away by Short. Then Baker uh, hitting the ball out of bounds, deemed intentional. Liam Ryan not able to take full advantage of that. And then we saw a very uncharacteristic miss from a kick-in by Nick Floston. But you could just see that all that territory and pressure was starting to build on the Tigers. And, of course, the Eagles had another huge advantage, which they had for the entire game. And that was virtually a free kick out of the centre because of the utter dominance by Nick Natanui. In fact, Nick Nat had a chance himself to stamp glory on the game with a mark, but he missed the shot at goal. And we all know that it came down to that kick from the boundary from Kennedy after a great bit of play by Liam Ryan. I'll ask you this, Rowan, was that kick 15 metres by Ryan? Oh, just, I think uh, I think you probably had to pay it. I've, I've seen plenty of them not paid this season, but a 50-50 call. I tell you, what I fortunately didn't result in a goal, but that uh, free kick paid against Pickett for a dangerous tackle. God, that was an oh, that, absolute yeah. howler. Yeah, yeah, that was quite extraordinary. Free kick going to Oscar Allen, and as you say, would have been even more controversial had that kick gone through as it should have from close range. But boy, what a game of football it was! And, how about the return of Kane Lambert? So often the last mention when you talk about big players out or key movers, but his return almost was had enough impact to win the game for the Tigers. And I guess the big question is where that leaves the Tigers, right? They would have loved to have headed into the break with that win over the West Coast, taking them to 8-5. But at 7-6, they are drawn somewhat into the argument of making the eight because there will be teams snapping on their heels. Yeah, well, they are, but I'm very confident they, at the very least, going to be part of the, the uh, top eight. And I'm still reasonably confident they'll be part of the top four. Look, they're still only a game outside the top four. And here's, here's something to chew on. In 2019, when they ended up winning the most dominant of their flags, they're at exactly this stage, at uh, exactly this win-loss ratio, at exactly the same point of the season, 7-6, 
after 13 rounds. In fact, here's one more for you. Channel 7 don't often come up with really good uh, information in their uh, telecast. They did have one tonight, curiously enough, from Brian Taylor. And it was that in the past four years, Richmond have won 41 of 48 games after round 12. That's a pretty compelling stat. They certainly know how to finish off a season. So, look, they'll be disappointed by tonight. I think a lot of travel, maybe the week in Perth, ended up taking a toll. But uh, they will be there when the whips are cracking and they are still my premiership tip. And mine as well. Where does this leave you and the West Coast Eagles? Of course, I think both of us prior to this game had them outside the top chances for a flag. Does this change your opinion at all? Uh, for me, they have to, at the very least, get top four and quite possibly top two. So if you're going to mount the argument about Richmond still being a contender for top four, you have to with the Eagles. They're a game ahead. So they're actually level on in win-loss terms with the side in fourth place. So, yes, uh, I've still got my doubts about how reliable a conveyance they are. But, look, their best is capable of matching it with just about anyone. Richmond more than most. Uh, not curiously enough, Richmond more than most because um, their forward set up with those big marking key forwards is difficult to handle structurally as much as anything. And Richmond certainly found that in the end tonight. In fact, their tools and defence as well, they were just marking everything in the last quarter, West Coast. So look, they're still a contender, but I think Richmond's a, a far more serious contender. And I think this result isn't a good one for the sides outside the eight because had the um, the result gone the other way, West Coast would be only a game clear of the others. I've got far more certainty about Richmond being there than West Coast. So uh, I reckon the, uh, the top eight, well, we said it last week, I reckon she's just about decided. Yeah, good point. And on those defenders, good effort by Harry Edwards and wasn't Barras and in latter stages, Hearn, uh, key to the win. I thought a great game by Barras, by the way. And then Shannon Hearn, three really timely, well-judged marks in the last quarter, including that last one in those dying seconds, guaranteeing the win. And I'll leave you with this, rope. Football is a game of inches, isn't it? Because those last two goals kicked by the West Coast Eagles, particularly the one by Waterman, seemed to sneak around the post by centimetres. Mm. And Kennedy's kick was also just on the money. So, boy, things really do swing on the matter of inches in the game of Aussie rules. Well, they, West Coast really is the archetypal example of uh, good kicking being good football. Their efficiency, it wins them games of football. They're one of the best kicking sides I've seen in terms of conversion. And they're certainly one of the best marking sides I've seen, and those two things hold them in good stead. Cracking game of footy and a great way to finish the round. A great way to finish the show, Finey, is with a big, angry rant. We're going to do that right now. On Footyology, the rant off. Rightio, Finey, I've got a feeling I know where both of us are going with the rant this week. Now, you could say... Uh, we're going over old ground, but uh, I would choose to couch it more like we're dogs with a bone and we're coming at the same bone, but from a different direction. And we're bloody still pissed off about these things. And uh, interesting, we didn't collude, but uh, we both returned to familiar themes and uh, just a couple of things that have happened, which have reinforced the point. So let's uh, explore those themes in rather theatrical fashion. Would you count me in, please? Here, boy. Here, boy. One, two, three. Here, boy. <laughs> I'm pissed off with a cold of the former AFL star in the media, Fighty. Hardly a news flash that they've been taking over the airways for a long time, I know. And this isn't directed at those guys as much as the outlets that it seems won't be satisfied until we've got them fronting every TV or radio show, radio show available. But Jesus become tiresome. And typically, the TV networks and radio stations are operating like it's still the mid-1990s. Channel 9 is still the biggest thing since sliced bread. And we're all totally in awe of what these guys have to say, not only about football, but any other topic you care to name. In fact, it's got even worse when you consider what it is these guys were being employed for in the first place. 
I thought that was about their roles as experts when it came to how actual games of AFL football were played, the tactics, the patterns of play, how players deal with specific game situations. But the coldest celebrity is such now that there's a sizable band of them not just doing the play-by-play calling ahead of actual professionally trained callers like Jason Bennett, Adam Papalia, Brenton Speed, etc., etc., but they've got them reading the news, doing the weather, not to mention offering their expert opinions on just about any issue going on in the world. Take, for example, coronavirus and that noted epidemiologist Professor Dane Swan, whose views could probably best be summed up as Victoria not needing their masks and lockdowns and stuff. Sure, he, Luke Darcy and co are entitled to their views, no matter how fueled by ignorant self-interest. And again, if some media organisation is stupid enough to give you a platform about anything you like because you used to be able to kick a bit of leather around, why wouldn't you take advantage of it? But it's got worse because of social media and the steady diet of easy clickbait various radio and TV networks can churn out by faithfully transcribing what former player-turned-media performer X says about situation Y after the two and a half minutes he devotes to researching the subject and deciding what he thinks based on how much controversy it'll create. And it means that the people whose actual full-time jobs it is to bone up on this stuff actually talk to people involved and consider the actual evidence are increasingly being reduced to the parts of Barrel Girl on some cheap quiz show. Even Fox Footy are doing it now. Poor old Ralphie gets to give a rundown on injuries and MRO verdicts. The rest of the time he's on camera, he gets the honour of throwing a series of questions at the likes of Gaz, Rui, Brownie, Jono and co. Half of them won't even be about the game. They'll be about the latest political drama or AFL shenanigans that Ralphie probably knows twice as much about as they do. But the view seems to be that because he hasn't played 200 games, people would rather hear how Brownie would deal with the latest delicate CBA negotiations between the league and the AFLPA by knocking everyone out and going straight down the guts. Look, Jonathan Brown was a great player. I'm rapt to hear his comments about the game, but I'm not sure I want to hear what he thinks about workplace legislation and the casualisation of the workforce. I don't really want to hear Luke Darcy calling play with a series of shallow cliches when there's professionally trained commentators who can articulate the action with slightly more aplomb than telling us some fine young man is tearing it to shreds. And I certainly don't want to read Dane Swan holding court in the Herald Sun about why this state government should be turfed out because he can't get out in the piss with his mates and he's a bit sick of whatever PS5 game he's been playing in lockdown. Again, not his fault. He can't help who he is. But gee, some of the supposed adults who give these guys media gigs can exercise the parts of their brains which haven't been addled by substance abuse and realise that most of us got over childish adulation for guys who can kick a footy when we were about 15. And that when we want information about this or that, we want it from someone who knows what they're talking about and has a bit of experience in conveying that knowledge, not just someone who could dob a barrel from 50 metres. Whack. You could wax there, Rowan. Oh, I'm tired of it. No, like, seriously. I mean, we've got great callers who are consistently relegated to the B teams. We've got guys who are professionally trained journalists having to play the role of interviewer so we get to hear the alleged expert opinions of some guys who we know don't have the first clue about what they're talking about because they played footy. Aren't we over that? I mean, seriously, I, I, I don't know. People out there tell me I'm wrong, but I get the impression uh, people who watch and listen to and read about footy now are intelligent enough to want to hear some actual informed opinions, not just some bloody bloke they used to have on the back of their duffel coat. We're better than that, aren't we? No, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm with you on it. All right. Well, I've got that off my chest. So now it's your turn. Three, two, one, rant. Well, it might seem odd that an agnostic such as myself actually does reckon in some of the gods. For some reason, I truly believe in the football gods. A football god that looks malevolently on one club and one club alone. Maybe it's because this club has the temerity to call itself the Saints and in some way has offended the god. But all my football following life, there seems to be 
a higher power that, like a child with a fly that he wants to pick the wings off, looks at St Kilda football clubs and their supporters as his dumping ground, as an opportunity to be truly cruel. I came to this conclusion as I walked home from the replay of the grand final loss against the Pies back in 2010. We had lost grand finals in every possible way in my lifetime. 1997 against the Crows as hot favourites. In 71, even though I wasn't at the game, when in control at three-quarter time. In 2009, against a Cats lineup, strong as they were, that St Kilda outplayed for the day but couldn't outscore. And now on the back of a heart-stopping draw with that cruel bounce that denied Milne the chance to win the game for the Saints. Yes, gods were at play. And that same cool, cruel God has, for some reason, resurrected himself and decided to give it to St Kilda supporters in 2021. After all the promise of 2020, in which after a long absence from the finals, the Saints not only made it, but won a final against the Doggies, hopes were high for a good season and a return to the top four for St Kilda. Recruiting seemed logical, everything in place. But now, only 12 rounds into the season, or 12 games into the season, and it's quite clear that St Kilda, or I should say 13 games now, it's quite clear that St Kilda went the wrong way on the recruiting route. They shouldn't have been picking up recycled players from other teams, because what they've got is an overage side with the lack of will to win. But the losses, they've been down to the footy gods. A thrashing against previously unrated Essendon started the problems. And then an annihilation at the hands of the likes of Port Adelaide, who took them to pieces, Richmond, who utterly humiliated them, and the Bulldogs, who destroyed them with an almost record-breaking victory, was enough to make me think that the gods were looking at St Kilda. Then throw in a brave performance against the Swans that the Saints should have won, except for the now endemic, fretful kicking a goal. Could things get worse? Oh, yes, they could. Cue a matching cans. They hold the Crows scoreless for a quarter and a half. They're looking at the record books. What's the longest a team hasn't scored for? This is Fitzroy-like. Well, I'll tell you what wasn't Fitzroy-like. The comeback and victory to again give St Kilda supporters a sleepless night, safe in the knowledge that somewhere there's a higher power who likes pulling our wings off. Well, uh, what can I say, Fidey? I know what I said a few weeks ago, but I'll just say it again. I should say, actually, should we just put that, stick that away somewhere and wheel it out every couple of weeks when the next atrocity occurs? Uh, what, I mean, but what other punishment can they dish out to the <laughs> poor old saints? Well, don't, don't tempt fate. Who knows? Yeah, there might be right. some wild and wacky way to lose that we haven't thought of yet. Too many players on the ground and the score wiped. Yeah. Oh, well, let's try it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I sympathise. I sympathise. Now, I did feel for you last night when uh, that unfolded over the last few minutes. Uh, all right. That's it for our round 13 review. Now. There's one more game, I hear you say. Yes, there is. But we are committed to doing this Sunday evening. So never fear. We will give you a review of the big freeze game between Melbourne and Collingwood at the MCG Monday afternoon in our midweek episode on Wednesday. So look out for that one. And good luck to both the Pies and the Demons and, of course, the organisers of the great MND fundraising venture the big freeze uh give generously because it is a great cause um i'll tell you what else is a great cause finally our financial well-being and we've got several people to thank for that number least palmer bet who brings this podcast to you we are brought to you by palmer bet play the punting advantage this footy season always remember to gamble responsibly and a couple of other wonderful commercial partners finally who would they be well, we just cannot thank Andrew's Hamburgers enough. Their loyalty and their stick to itness with this podcast reflects actually their own attitude to business and life. 83 years young, it's consistency, loyalty, and 
an eye for detail that makes them great. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, the best burger in town and for the best home in town if you're in the inner southeast Melbourne suburbs. Don't look past our great friends at West Point Properties, Nick Spartel's principal there with a great team behind him. And don't look past the best sports data analysts in the business at Stats Insider. They do model projections of over 15 sports around the globe and they sample an event 10,000 times to bring you the best range of probable outcomes. Some great independent journalism on that site too. All free to use. Check it out, statsinsider.com.au. If you want to support us personally, you can at the ACAST supporter page, wherever you listen to this podcast, or at footyology.com.au, where there are links to Patreon. And for $7 Australian a month, you can become an official footyology patron and as the plug at the start of the podcast says help Fanny and I feed our starving children though it should be obvious looking at us that we personally are not (laughs) starving Uh, thanks everyone for your company hope your team had a win or uh, in the case of defeat it wasn't too painful Uh, good luck to the demons and pies enjoy the rest of a long weekend everyone and we'll see you midweek 